well, let's go to First uh, Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. Today, as we've been saying, is Mother's Day, and uh, I do not have a typical uh, Mother's Day message, but I do have a message from a mother, and this mother's name is Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. And uh, I want to talk to you today about Hannah's testimony, and we're going to be reading in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to abbreviate the first verse here. It talks about a man, a certain man named Elkanah, verse 2, says that he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Verse 4, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion. Read that again. But to Hannah he would give a double portion... For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely, Penina, to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, Penina, provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not Eat. Verse 8, then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she, Hannah, was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and forget and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Down to verse 17. Then Eli, the priest, answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went, Hannah went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I asked for him from the Lord. The word Samuel means hears or the Lord heard. Verse 25, then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord for this child, I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. 
Alleluia. Father, we thank you for this, this amazing story, this true story of Hannah and Samuel. Lord, I pray, God, that you'll help us to glean from this narrative some truths for our lives and how you work in the lives of your people to accomplish your purposes through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a story not just for moms, but for all of us. Because this is a story about God working out His specific purpose in the life of one of His children. Her name was Hannah, a godly woman who loved God, a faithful wife who loved her husband. But Hannah had a dilemma we read about, infertility. To her great dismay, she was unable to conceive, unable to have children. Now, from Hannah's perspective, all Hannah could see was how painful her circumstances were, her infertility, exacerbated by the fact that in that culture, it was believed that if a woman was infertile, that she was cursed by God. So from her perspective, that's all she could see was this suffering, this misery that I'm in. God, relieve me of my suffering. But we today have the advantage of seeing this crisis, her crisis, from God's perspective, in that we know the end of the story. We know what God is trying to do through this circumstance. God is trying to birth through her a prophet named Samuel who would be amongst the greatest prophets, the greatest leaders in Israel's history, who would bring an incredible revival to the people, who would anoint kings and set up leaders. Hannah was crucial to this plan. But Hannah's story, her testimony, I believe, is our story as well, in that God is trying to birth something in our lives. To birth a Samuel means that, that God wants to produce from our spiritual loins something that will prophesy, something that will testify, something that will speak to others about the goodness of God. God wants to produce from your experience, whatever it is you're going through, however you may be suffering or you may be experiencing loss, God wants to produce from your experience a testimony that will speak to others, that will stir others, that will call others, that will impart anointing into the lives of others. But that birth, like Hannah's, cannot happen until we go through a process, which is the first lesson that we get from Hannah. The pathway to fruitfulness, the pathway to being fruitful in our lives for the glory of God can be a painful process. Now, Hannah... She really just had one purpose in her circumstance. God, answer my prayer so I can have a child. That was it. 
But God's purpose, now get this, she had a goal for her situation, but God had a different goal. God's purpose was not just to heal her of her infertility so she could have a baby. That's the easy part for God. His purpose required much more than that. His purpose was the more difficult part. His purpose was to bring Hannah to such a place of complete and total surrender that she would be willing to give her child over to the care of the temple to be raised as a prophet and a priest of the Lord. And some of you women know how difficult that would be to give your child, and from Hannah's perspective, her only son, maybe her only child she would ever have, although we read in time she did have more sons and daughters. How difficult that would be to give your child up. I can't imagine some of you some of you women, some of you mothers who would have a baby and would feel convicted of the Lord to bring that baby to Pastor Dylan's office and just kind of leave that baby there on his desk and say, you know, God's been dealing with me just to give my... for you to raise him up or her up or whatever. The point of this story is that God is trying to get each of us to a place of such complete and total surrender that whatever we face, no matter what we go through, no matter how painful, we can offer it to Him and we can say, God, take this situation, take this dilemma, take this loss, take this pain, and use it for Your glory. I surrender it to You. I surrender myself to You. I surrender, Lord, what it is You're trying to produce, whatever it is You're trying to do in me and through me, Through this situation, Lord, I lay it on the altar and I say, God, have your way. That's the difficult thing that God's trying to achieve in our lives. Answering the prayer is the easy part. How many understand that? Getting us to a place where we are broken before him, where we are willing to let him do whatever he wants to do in and through us is a whole different work that God's trying to do. Now, I don't know what dilemma, what crisis, what loss, what pain it is that you're facing in life. From your perspective this morning, all you want is for that pain to end. From God's perspective, there's a greater purpose. He's trying to produce a Samuel. And I don't know what Samuel God is trying to produce in you or through you, but what I do know is that the pain, the pain is often part of that process. Just like in Hannah's testimony. Now, I know we don't, want to, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear about pain today. In our current culture, we have such an aversion to pain. But the pain could be part of the process that God has for us. This is so counter to the gospel that we hear preached today. I mean, entire ministries and churches have been built on the premise that, that, you know, God wants to take away everything negative from your life, that God wants to relieve every, every, every pain, every difficulty, every adversity. Every, God wants to bring you to a place of blessing and prosperity, right? And we sing songs to this effect, and we preach sermons to this effect, But often it's just not true. Some of you might remember in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 when Jesus told Peter, 
He told Peter, he said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. The sifting process was a very painful process. They would take, they would take the wheat, they would lay it on, on a rock or a hard surface, and they would beat it with a flail. A flail was basically a short, stubby stick, a heavy stick that was used for threshing, and they would, they would beat the wheat, they would pulverize it into little pieces, and then they would throw it up into the air so that the breeze would pass through it, and the breeze would be able to blow the chaff away, and then the useful part of the wheat, the grain, would fall back down to the ground. Basically, Jesus was saying to Peter, the devil has asked permission for me to allow him to beat on your life and to pulverize you into little pieces and to sift you and to try to blow you away into nothingness. And I imagine Peter, I can imagine Peter saying, well, Lord, I know you wouldn't let the devil do that to me. I know you love me, Jesus, and I know you got my back, Jesus, right? You're not going to let the devil, you know, the, you know, I know you have plans for good and not for evil, right? Right, right, Jesus? And you know what Jesus said? I'll be praying for you, brother. It's <laughs> basically what he said. I've prayed for you that when you return from that sifting, such a harsh sifting that will even cause you to deny me, that when you return from that process, you'll be able to strengthen others through it. And Peter became the leader after Jesus ascended to heaven, leader of the church. This is often the process God takes us to, through to make us more fruitful, the process of sifting, the process that he took Hannah through. We also need to see in Hannah's story that in this process of birthing a Samuel, there are voices that come to harass us in the process. The first one is, is Penina. Verse 6 calls Penina Hannah's rival. A rival is an adversary. It's an oppressor. It's an enemy. Penina was a resentful, bitter adversary. And Penina shows us that when we are in pain, the devil always attacks us with bitterness, tries to bring bitterness into us. Now, understand, there's a reason why Penina was so bitter and so toxic. I know she was a horrible person, but we need to understand a little context here in verse 5. It says that, that the husband, El Elkanah, gave Hannah double portion and gave her favor and loved her more than Penina, even though Hannah had no children at that point. This man gave Hannah twice what he gave Penina. And imagine how that affected Penina. Hannah had no kids. She had no babies to breastfeed. She had no diapers to change. She had no vomit in the middle of the night. How many parents know what I'm talking about? I know that sounds a little crass, but if you're a parent, that's life, right? Okay? Penina had the crying babies. Penina had the kids pulling on her, the sleepless nights, the early mornings, the demands, the hassle. Penina had all that, but Hannah got the double portion. No wonder she was vindictive. No wonder Penina was resentful and bitter. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying I, I see how she got there, right? And every chance Penina got, she reminded Hannah how unworthy she was to receive such favor. She'd say, you don't deserve double. I'm the one with the hungry kids. I'm the one who's up all night making clothes, cooking meals. I deserve double, not you. 
What's amazing, as hurtful and as spiteful as she was to Hannah, Hannah never let Penina's bitterness make her bitter. Did you get that? She never let Penina's bitterness make her. She cried, she mourned, she prayed, but she never became bitter. Here's the lesson. You cannot control what happens to you. You cannot control what people do to you. But you must control how you respond to it. This is what makes the difference. Because how you respond determines what you give birth to. The enemy wants to birth bitterness in your pain. But we've got to be people who keep our eyes on the Lord. And even though we don't understand what we're going through, we've got to be able to say, Lord, I lean not on my own understanding, but I trust in you with all my heart. That's where we need to get to. Or else we're going to end up like Job's wife. Remember Job's wife? She stood before the caskets of her ten dead children. She lost her home. She lost her, her wealth. Her husband was sick. What did she say? To him, she said to Job, curse God and die. Why do you retain your integrity? Because she was cursing God in her heart, she wanted everyone around her to be cursing God in their hearts. Don't let bitter people make you bitter. But Job said to her in Job chapter 2, verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. And then it says in Job 1.20, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and he did what? He worshiped. And he said this, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. And the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This he said as he, as he stood before the ten caskets of his children. Verse 22, and all of this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job reminds us, as Hannah reminds us, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you will respond to it. And how you respond determines what you give birth to. There's another voice that Hannah had to contend with, and that was the voice of her husband, Elkanah. Elkanah was a good man. He loved Hannah cared about her. He saw how much she was tormented. Verse 5 says, as we read, he gave her double portion to try and comfort her. He loved her so much. He's so sincere in his love. Look at what he says in verse 8. In verse 8, then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That's what I say to my wife when she wants a new piece of jewelry. Hon, why are you looking for more jewelry? Am I not better to you than 10 new rings? <laughs> not even going to look at her. Just going to let that one go. <laughs> Young men, never say that to your wife. Just throw that out there. Now, we realize how naive Elkanah is, but I want us to see that there's actually a subtle danger in his words. Elkanah is saying, you don't need a Samuel. You got me. I'm enough. In that, I see that Elkanah, the danger here is that he can become the voice of distraction, literally telling her that he's enough for her to put her eyes on him, not on what God can do in her life. Everybody say, bad advice. Now, it's great to have people in our lives 
who support us and who encourage us and stand with us, people who will pray for us, people who will text us a scripture in the morning, who will call us with advice, right, who will send us links to sermons on YouTube. It's great that they're there for you, but you're not supposed to be focused on them or leaning on them or looking to them for your hope and your encouragement and your faith. Elkanah meant well, but he was setting himself up to be a distraction, a substitute for what God wanted to do in her life. See, too many people today, they become dependent on the encouragement the affirmation that they can get from other people. They become dependent on a pastor, whether or not a pastor calls them, or whether or not a deacon reaches out to them, or whether or not a friend is going to you know, be there for them and call them up and, and text them. And then when they don't get that call, or they don't get that text, or somebody fails to acknowledge them, they get offended, and they get angry, and they get hurt like somebody let them down. But God is trying to bring us to a place where our faith our ability to have hope. Hope means the expectation of good. Where our ability to have hope and expect good is not dependent on a person who calls us every morning or a pastor who acknowledges us, but that we are able to put our hope in our God. He wants you to know, as it says in Psalms, that my help comes from the Lord. That my God is a very present help in times of trouble. That when it's just you and your Bible and whatever faith you have, and there's no Elkanah there to reassure you that you're able to say, my God, I trust you. God, I can't see you, but I know you're there. I can't hear you, Lord God, but I know you're speaking. Lord God, I can't feel you, but I know that you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me and that you are causing all things to work together for the good so that I can birth a Samuel in my life. That's where he's trying to bring us. And that's the place of victory. But there's one more voice in Hannah's story here, one more voice, his name is Eli. Everybody say Eli. We pick up the story again in verse 10. Hannah is in the tabernacle. She's pouring her heart out to the Lord. She's weeping in anguish. She's, she's so burdened in so much pain, she can't even get the words out of her mouth. She's probably down on her knees and her lips are moving, but there's no sound. Her hands are lifted up. Tears are streaming down her face. And verse 12 says this, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. You thought I was a bad pastor. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your, now I may have thought that, but <laughs> I don't know that I would have said it, right? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've, I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now we move here from her, her enemies and from her family and distractions into the church, and we find the voice of Eli. Eli is the voice of religion. It's the voice of men's 
opinions and preconceptions and misconceptions about us in our journey. Here's this woman pouring out her heart to God. And here comes Eli. She's pouring out her heart to God. Here comes Eli. What's wrong with you, woman? You've been drinking? This guy had no idea, no sense of what she had been through in her life, and he is interpreting her reaction, her emotion, through the lens of his own broken filler. He can only see her through his perspective, and that's a sad place to be. No appreciation, no sensitivity, no empathy for her. He's totally out of touch. To him, she looks like a drunk crazy woman. And sad to say, but it's true, that the church will always have Eli's in it. Hello? If you came to church thinking you're going to find perfect people, (laughs) there's no such place. Church is full of broken, messed up people. In fact, any church that doesn't have broken, messed up people is a broken, messed up church, right? Church will always have, people will always be in the church who don't understand you and they don't understand your journey. People who will look across the room at someone who appears to be messy, clothes kind of wrinkled, hair disheveled, not using the right church, you know, churchy language, right? Doesn't quite fit their idea of what people in church should look like. But I got a word for the Eli's today. You don't know what Hannah has been through in her life. You don't know what Hannah is going through right now. You don't know what devils she's had to fought, what strongholds she's had to pull down just to get here today. You don't know her story. You don't know her journey. You don't know her pain and the sifting that she has gone through to get her to a place where she can stand and lift her hands with tears coming down her face to say, my God, I'm reaching out to you because only you can help me. You don't know about the drugs. You don't know about the abuse. You don't know about the poverty, the pain, and the shame. And what God has done to bring her out from where she was to where she is today. She may not look like you think she should look. And guess what? She doesn't have to because she's on a journey. She's going down a path. God is working things out in her life. Amen? How many remember when God was working things out in your life? How many here remember when you looked like that drunk woman at the altar? Just messed up, right? Just babbling, right? I mean, hair disheveled, tears, makeup. How many remember that, right? Don't dare go into that place of Eli where you look from across the room at others now who are finding their way back to Jesus. Hallelujah. Because listen, if that's you, if you're just like Hannah, if you're in church but feeling maybe you're a little out of place in church, feeling like people are looking at you from a distance saying, what's wrong with that person? You've got to listen, you've got to get to that place where you don't care what people think because you're not here for people. You're here for Jesus. You've got to get to that place where you press into God like your life 
depended on it. And I want to tell you something, that the enemy loves to circulate in the church. The enemy will try to use people in the church to dissuade you from pursuing God. He'll try to bring Eli's to you to condemn you and make you feel ashamed. But you've got to get to that place where you realize that worship, it's not just singing songs. No, no. Worship is a battle. Worship is warfare. And you're not here to impress Eli, but to get a breakthrough from God because you know at the end of your story there is a Samuel to be born. And that's where the breakthrough comes. Look at verse 17 as we wrap this up. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name the Lord Hears. That's what Samuel means. Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Everybody say, the Lord Hears. Hallelujah. Even when you can't vocalize the words, the Lord hears. Amen? Even when no one else understands, the Lord hears. Hallelujah. Even when everyone else wants to tell you what you should do and what they think about your situation, you know what? The Lord, the Lord hears. That's who our eyes need to be on. Not Penina, not Elkanah, and not Eli. Our eyes need to be on the Lord because the Lord hears. Let me ask the worship team to join me up here as we close and read this last part here, verse 24. Now, when she had weaned him, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. This is before the temple was built in Jerusalem. The tabernacle was located in a town called Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. The Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I have also lent or I've given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be given to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Let's all stand together. I want us to close this morning just like this by presenting an offering of worship to the Lord, presenting our Samuel to the Lord. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're struggling with, however you may be in pain right now, to lift your hands, to raise it up to the Lord and say, Lord, it's all for you, Lord. This condition that I'm in, this situation that I'm in, the pain, Lord, it's all for your glory. Lord, I give it to you, God. Whatever it is you're birthing in me and through me, Lord, I give it to you. Whatever testimony you're creating through my life that can prophesy to others, Lord, I give it to you. Because, Lord, I realize that your purpose is more than just answering my prayer. Your purpose is getting me to a place of brokenness and submission and surrender to your purpose in my life. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. I give it to you, Lord. Come on, just talk to the Lord right now. Just say, Lord, I give it to you. I surrender to you. 
I'm not asking you, Lord God, to answer a prayer right now, Lord. I'm surrendering my heart to you. Come on, lift up those hands to the Lord right now. I give it to you, Lord. I surrender to you. I yield to you, Lord God, that in all of my pain, my affliction, my torment, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be glorified. Let's take a moment. Let's worship. And I will rest in your promises. Yes, my confidence yes, Lord. is your faithfulness. Hallelujah, Lord. I will rest. Yes, Lord. In your promise. My God, my God. Hallelujah. You are faithful. Yes, you are. You are faithful. And God. I will rest. In your promises. My confidence. Trust you. Trust you, Lord. Is your faithfulness. You're working, God. I will rest. You're working in my situation. In your promise. not an answer to my prayer it's for your will to be done through my situation God for you to produce in me and through me what your kingdom requires for your will to be done that's the prayer of our hearts here Lord God use us as vessels I want to be a vessel I want to be a vessel for your glory in my life Jesus name hallelujah father we want to pray a special blessing on our our sisters today our our ladies today for all of the ladies Lord God that are here all of the women God that today would be a day where Lord they would sense your presence they would have a word from God where you would speak into their lives reassure them Lord of your grace and your purpose in their life and for the moms pray God a blessing on the moms love on the moms today God pray Lord that you'll speak to the sons and the daughters and that they'll just they'll love on their moms and encourage their moms pamper their moms today hallelujah thank you Lord for our moms in Jesus name amen amen so I want to say once again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are here, all the moms that are watching. God bless you. We're going to release you. The uh, ushers will have a little gift for you. All the ladies, 
all of our ladies will receive a little, a little pamper pouch. And uh, that's just our way of saying we love you. If you need prayer, especially after hearing this message, whatever process, pathway you may find yourself in, we're going to open the altars. Our prayer team is here. I want to encourage you to come on up here and get prayed for. If you need prayer, come on. Come on up. Get prayed for today. We want to pray with you and for you that God will achieve his purpose in your life in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Have a great day today. Come on up and get prayed for. Come on up and get prayed for.